Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Cat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 237, Time to Fight Your Fight. This week we're discussing season 7, episode 20 of Buffy, Touched, and series 10, episode 10 of Doctor Who, The Eaters of Light. As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. All right. Buffy, episode 20 of season seven. This is getting kind of intense. Stuff is getting Um, real. Stuff is getting real and everybody's getting it on (laughs) and... That's, that's part of the stuff pretty that's much what happens in yeah. this episode. Um, yeah. And so want to start with the Buffy and Spike stuff mm-hmm. since there's some interaction with the others. And then, you know, Buffy definitely takes some action at the end of the episode, but they spend a lot of it kind of siloed off on their own so thought we would just sort of do all their stuff up front together um and actually the first thing i want to note we're going to come back to the rest of the group but is just the fact of as soon as buffy leaves the entire thing breaks out into chaos and argument and frustration um so it's like just that kind of yeah like you know her, the effect of her leaving is pretty much immediate. Sure. Um, and we, again, we did, and we can continue to argue about whether or not she deserved what happened. Like, was she kind of maybe, you know, making mistakes of her own, pushing too hard, overstepping, you know, whatever authority she does have. But that doesn't negate the fact that her absence has like an immediate sort of impact on the group. Yeah. Um, well, and I was just oh, to say, okay. it's like not just the arguing, right. And we can talk about like specifically the arguments, I guess, if you want to get into that, but it's also like how quickly faith just very much becomes just like Buffy. And like, you all have to listen to me right. and I'm your leader and do what I say. <laughs> like, Right, right. Meet meet the new boss, right. same as the old boss. Um so yeah, why what was what was the point if it's just to you know, kind of accept a new leader who's basically just gonna the, say the, the same thing. Dead long with the queen, right? Like <laughs> Right, right. Um so anyway, I feel like Buffy would probably be pretty we can we'll get into the faith leadership dynamics, but I feel like Buffy would probably be very vindicated to see that result of her leaving. But of course she doesn't see that she, she sees it as they have a united front against her and they made this, you know, kind of unanimous decision and she's been sort of voted off Mm -hmm. the Island, so to speak. And, you know, is wandering alone and dejected with no purpose she's the slayer without friends and family all of a sudden, right? Like completely, completely on her own cut off from the community of people. And, you know, I guess it it leaves the question open 
without that group of people to be sort of the leader of, to what extent is she still the one responsible for this kind of averting this new apocalypse? Mm -hmm. Um, Like that's something we didn't really talk about last time. And I don't think they really talk about is like when she leaves, does the kind of moral responsibility of the slayer leave sort of with her? Um, Or is it that she's sort of left to left outside of that and faith as the leader of this group of potentials and Scoobies, they're the ones who are going to fight the good fight. They're just going to do it in a way that other than what Buffy Mm. wants. Um, I don't know that there's an answer to that. I mean, clearly they don't have the time to really sit down and write a contract as to what exactly are the terms of her leaving. Let's make a pros and cons list. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Or it's split up like, all right, you're going to do this and we're responsible for this over here. Like that obviously doesn't get dictated. So, you know, her immediate kind of state isn't to go in. She Her reaction isn't to kind of become, you know, guns blazing, kamikaze, go straight into the middle of the fight, like, and try to take them on all by herself. Um, that comes later, but... <laughs> At least initially. Like, immediately, yeah. initially her reaction is kind of like, you know, she's on the outside of it, and she's going to go find a house and a bed to go mm. curl up in and just sort of uh, nurse her wounds and sort of sit by herself and have her pity, pity party for a little while. I say that like it's a bad thing. I mean, fair enough, but. Sure. Um, that's what, she, that's what she does. Um, and even like taking the guy's, house like right out from under him which is kind of funny uh like as the whole i mean the power is being cut you kind of get through there's like a line about how functionally they're really the only people Mm -hmm. left so the whole town has sort of either like bunkered itself into their own houses or else have just kind of picked up and left entirely. Um, So she comes across a guy who's sort of defending his house with his rifle, um, which she just grabs out of his hand and then he sort of takes off and that's the end of that. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Which is where Spike finds her. I think we'll come back to uh, the Spike and Faith interaction, right? Did we decide that? I don't even remember now what uh, we decided about I mean, that. we can talk about it um, now, or, or we can talk about it when we're talking more about Faith and the potentials, but either way, it's fine. Um, I guess we can talk about it now. Um, just because, I mean, I think it's fairly straightforward. Yeah. Like, he... He comes back. Um, well, wait. Is, first, should we talk about um, him and Andrew playing like I Spy when there's like literally only one thing in the room? Right. Tapestry is the only answer to the question. Um, 
And I like Andrew's explanation of what they found out, which like he finally finishes with, oh, we found you were right about, you know, what you thought was, you know, they, there was something there. But first it's like the more important information is how they, like how cool they were for mm-hmm. riding around on Spike's motorcycle and um, Andrew's, you know, bad cop skills with, you know, roughing up, you know, the demons and everything. Um, Yeah. Um, Which he can't even finish because he has to go and take a bathroom break before they can really um, get into the meat of it. Sure. Uh, So, yeah. So, Spike is obviously not a fan of how this whole thing went down. Um, And this is so obvious that they immediately like start lying (laughs) about what happened. Um, You know, and even Willow is like, you know, more than just omitting facts, but like even twisting the truth to make it sound like this was a mutual decision or even that it was Buffy's right. call. Um, Buffy that, thought like, it would be best if she oh, was Oh, we came to own. an agreement. <laughs> yeah, Buffy thought it would be best, right. Um, you know, so they don't really have to hear too much from Spike or think too hard about it to know that he is going to be furious at the way this went down. Um, and that they're already pretty ashamed of how it went down too. Like I don't think I don't think anybody respects Spike's opinion enough to like lie for his, you know, approval. No. You know, like if he doesn't like the way you do something, like, well, who cares? Like, since when do we care what Spike thinks? But um like I think if they're fudging the truth to soften the blow that's probably not a great sign as to how they feel about what they did. Yeah. I mean, I could also see it as like a live convenience. So like, it's not so much like, like I definitely agree that there's the guilt factor there. So I'm not trying to say this as like separate from that, but like in addition Mm -hmm. to that, um, I think there's also like, it's just like, if we can like, lie to spike to because we know how he'll react if we say like we kicked buffy out of her house and like told her she couldn't lead us anymore like like they know what spike's reaction is going to be to that so maybe it's dumb and maybe they're like you know just being self-delusional into thinking that they could fool him but i could see it also being like yeah like if we can just like convince him that Buffy went away on her own, then like maybe he'll just leave us and not like give us any trouble about mm-hmm. it. So like I could I could see yeah. in addition to like the guilt thing, like there being a lie of convenience in there of or at least mm-hmm. perceived convenience. It doesn't end up actually working out so conveniently for any of them. But like I could see that at right. least being part of the rationale of why Willow would spend time coming up with this sort of elaborate lie. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Yeah, which doesn't fool anybody and, you know, um, pretty quickly leads to blows between Spike and uh, Faith. So kind of whatever little sparks they had between them um, in, like, the previous episode of kind of, you know, they kind of seem like... Um, not that I think they were setting them up for any sort of like romantic pairing or anything, but was it you who you said that they were thinking about a spinoff, right? Like a Faith and yeah, Spike. That, that was a potential um, discussion at one point. Right. So I think it's kind of interesting turn because I feel like that was very much evident in the last episode of having them bond a little bit as like, Buffy's two kind of bad boy, bad girl sort of allies, like, you know, allies that are on their side, but that are a bit, you know, the loose cannon type. Um, and it kind of seemed like they kind of had some things in common and understood sort of the way that they think and operate mm -hmm. and that sort of thing. Um, so, you know, here they are you know, completely on opposite sides of this issue and ready to beat each other up over it. Um, yeah, and then Spike takes off. Because he really doesn't care so much about... It's not like he wants to, like, get revenge on anybody for what they did. He just sort of wants to go find Buffy. Um, uh, which he does, follows her scent uh, down the road into the house. Um, and then they have this kind of, actually kind of like sweet little conversation that, you mm -hmm. know, goes in many, you know, directions and mm -hmm. like, you know, it's kind of one of those classic arguments where it's like up all night and like, Sometimes you're sad and sometimes you're angry and sometimes you're joking and then you get angry again and, you know, that kind of, you know, all night long sort of hashing out whatever the issue is. Um, yeah. Yeah. And Spike ends up with, you know, I'm not going to read the whole thing because I ended up typing it. It's quite long, but he goes on with this, you know, um, this speech about Buffy's sort of goodness, what it is that he admires about her and what it is that she sort of stands for. Um, and I guess the fact that he finally, he always has sort of been drawn to her and obsessed with her as Drew can tell you. But I guess it's not really until it's Spike with a soul that you can get this sort of genuine like monologue sure. about her sort of goodness um, and have it be sincere and not just, you know, him angling for anything or, um, you know, or he's not conflicted. He's not trying to, there's no, doesn't seem to be any ulterior motives. It's just him kind of, you know, explaining to her what it is that he admires about her. Right. Yeah. And I mean, I guess the question with Spike, I, so 
I think I think we always believe Spike's sincerity. Like I think if there's one thing that like he's consistent about, it's that he's fairly earnest in like what he mm-hmm. says. At least most of the time. Like even even as like a big bad, lot he he didn't like lie a lot. You know what I mean? I mean mm-hmm. he, he might be a little deceptive because he is evil and whatnot, but like. I feel like even like in his evilness, he was always sort of pretty straightforward. Like, hello, I'm evil. <laughs> like, you know, that sort of thing right. of like, why do people keep like treating me in ways that they expect me to do the right thing when I'm clearly evil? And so I think mm-hmm. because of that, we can, now that he has a soul and has been fighting on the side of good and like also still isn't like, afraid to sort of mince words, you know, not mince words, and afraid to not, he's not afraid to not mince words. There's probably a better way to say that. But like, <laughs> you know, he just comes pretty straightforwardly at, you know, the problem, mm-hmm. so to speak. Um, yeah, I mean, I think all that to say that, like, I think he, like, we can read this then as sincerity. Because I think the types of things that he say that he's saying, I feel like in maybe other characters' mouths, it would be like, yeah, you're totally just trying to get with her. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. he's saying all the things that she would want to hear, and, like, clearly she does mm-hmm. like to hear that. And, you know, obviously they spend the night together, and, you know, just holding each other, not in the way that others are spending the night together. And so... Like, it seems sincere and seems all of that. All of that to just say that, like, I feel like, yeah, again, like, these words in someone else's mouth you could sort of question and, you know, maybe mm-hmm. uh, wonder if he's not angling for something else. But it, it definitely seems like a sincere and uh, mm-hmm. genuine sentiment that he's expressing. Well, and and even when... Like before, I think he, I think you're right. Like in his words, he always was sincere in his like expression of whatever his desire was or his emotion or, you know, whatever. Um, But it doesn't have the same feeling as when they were sort of in that really messy relationship they had where his words were sincere, but he also had like an angle at the same time. Like he, and he was honest about it. Like, you know, he was never, you know, deceptive about what he wanted, but he was openly trying to get something, um, you know, and sometimes more forcefully than others, obviously. Um, whereas like here, I don't think, um, you get any of that. You don't get any of the sense of, his like desperation for anything to happen in particular it's just like it's just the pure expression of what he thinks um without any of the kind of motive like the self-interested motive Mm -hmm. behind it um and so one thing uh that occurred to me was the uh many different permutations of the word touched throughout the episode like there's you know different ways you can apply Mm -hmm. that title 
throughout the, but, you know, one of the less obvious ones I think is, you know, being touched emotionally by something, you know, which I think is kind of gets at what, you know, Buffy and Spike have here. Like there is physical touching in that he right. Right. holds her at the end, like you said. Um, but I think the, you know, I think it's clear that she's touched by what he says, yeah. like that his speech means something and means more. That's more what she kind of is looking for in that moment than the kind of more like physical uh, interactions that are going in, mm-hmm. you know, with the others. Um, and also his thing of, you know, you're the one. And she says, I don't want to be the one. And he says, I don't want to be this good looking and athletic. Um, <laughs> that's, we've all got crosses. That's to bear. another of my like favorite lines in the series. <laughs> yeah. We can't, we can't help who we are. Um, that also having kind of a double entendre of like sort of the capstone of his speech of you're the one in a sense of she's kind of the one for him. Mm-hmm. Like, She's, you know, the epitome of all these things that he's just been saying, but also like she's the chosen one. She's the slayer. And that's the kind of sense that she's resistant to, which I think I'm jumping ahead. But when we get to the like sword or, you know, sky or whatever it is in the stone at the end, you get this, you know, very strong kind of, you know, I guess back to that messianic sense of the slayer of her being sort of the chosen one above Mm. all others, Um, which kind of answers potentially answers the question of if Buffy leaves the group, who retains the moral sort of authority of the slayerhood? Well, it kind of stays with her, even if faith takes over the leadership of the group, Buffy's still the one. Um, you know, one among a group of slayers, but still the one. Yeah. So that burden doesn't go away if she quits or if they fire her. Um, it's not something that she can willfully sort of drop or, you know, get rid of. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know that I have anything to add to that comment. <laughs> So let's talk about Faith and her leadership style. So you kind of mentioned the fact that um, as the group immediately starts arguing and as Willow says, arguing about how they're going to argue, Faith uh, pretty much just does what Buffy would do. Sure. Um, And like asserts her authority and at least at the high level, not whether in a, like, Buffy would actually yeah. like do the same plan or whatever. It's just, yeah, it's that like same sure. approach of like, sorry, I cut you off, but like, yeah. No, no. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. And I don't even know, maybe the particulars would be different in a different situation, but I don't even know that her actual plan is terribly different than the kind of thing that Buffy would come up with. It's maybe a bit more, um, 
it's a bit more physical, a bit scrappier than maybe Buffy would, you know, Buffy tends to maybe be more about the research as a way to gather information rather than Faith takes the more like, well, let's capture a bad guy and like, you know, force him to tell us. Yeah, like it, what, um, you kind of wonder what they, I mean, obviously they sort of go a magical enchantment sort of way of getting information out of them. But like, there's definitely the threat of like, and like, promise, I guess, of like torture behind the plan, just as a plan. Like, we're going to get them and force yeah, them to talk. I totally and, get that. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I think uh, Faith's about to get the old torture tools out of the, you know, dusty bin that they've been hanging in ever since she's been in jail. Like, I don't think she's above torturing a bad guy. You know, she might have finally got past torturing the good guys, you know, but, um, which is, which is progress. But like, I don't think, I think if they had no other alternative, that's absolutely what she's suggesting. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, which, yeah, that's a, that's a degree of like resorting to physical violence that probably Buffy doesn't normally share, but, um, you know, but the idea of like, let's figure out information by finding out what we can from the bad guys so that we can use it against them and try to have some sort of plan. That doesn't necessarily seem completely unlike mm -hmm. Buffy. Um, except that, I mean, it, it's unlike Buffy's recent plan of like, let's go in and just attack. Sure. Um this is a more cautious approach, which is appealing to the group at the moment. Um, so anything else about like, I know we don't have a ton of notes about the other characters, like the Scoobies and everything, but is there anything in the argument itself that is worth kind of honestly i mean i didn't really um, note anything down it was it's it's and I, I kind of find the way that the dialogue and um the sort of uh i don't know cinematography i guess um is mm -hmm. done in that scene because it it is it it feels very chaotic like which is supposed to like right it's got this like handheld like the camera's just sort of like mm -hmm. whipping around between all of them like you're like you're there and, in the room like a documentary and it's style. definitely like i mean it's definitely intentionally this way um but mm -hmm. it's it's definitely hard to like follow any one person um mm -hmm. and i don't i mean i don't have any comment on that other than to say that like i mean I, like again that's obviously what they're intending so like they got that across but like it also makes it hard to like have like to pick out specific things to like talk about specific points because i don't know that any specific points are really the point <laughs> um yeah right so yeah i don't i don't yeah. know um i don't know that i have anything like to say about like the specific 
things that they're saying um as far as that goes it's really yeah. when faith sort of speaks up and is like no you all need to listen to me that like everyone mm -hmm. else quiets down and she kind of grasps that leadership role yeah yeah and kennedy's really the only one who gives her any sort of pushback um so it doesn't take too much convincing for Faith's, you know, status as leader to be accepted among the group. Um, and they go along, I mean, they seem to go along with the plan fairly sort of willingly, like Kennedy and some of the potentials are out there, you know, helping Giles capture one of the bringers that goes well. They all seem to like be fighting well and, you know, looking out for each other. Um, so the, the teamwork is, you know, it's not all falling apart. They seem like they're still sort of able to mm -hmm. work together for the most part. Um, yeah. And then we'll get to, well, I mean, jumping ahead very slightly when they, when they kind of do, once they, hear the information and kind of are into part two of the plan. Even that doesn't seem to have a lot of resistance. Like Giles and Faith go over everything together and then he kind of tells her that she's mm -hmm. doing well. So, um, yeah. So even though the early scenes are of chaos pretty quickly, that doesn't stay the case for long. Um, it seems like, you know, people are going along with, with faith and honoring her authority and things are sort of going fairly smoothly. Sure. Um, okay. I want to get into her and the first as the mm -hmm. mayor. Yeah. Who we saw before. I, I um, feel like, can I just say, sorry, before we get into like, the mm -hmm. text of what they say and all that. I always feel like, yeah. even though I know this happens, like, cause I've seen the series and stuff. I always feel mm -hmm. like it's kind of a surprise when this happens. Like, mm -hmm. like you almost forget that like the first does this sort of thing. And then once it happens, mm -hmm. it's like, yeah, we haven't seen it in a while. You know, yeah. the, when it does happen, it's like, well, of course the first is going to do this. Like it, it always does this sort of thing, but it definitely feels a little, um, yeah, just kind of surprising that like, like you're kind of not prepared for like this to happen. And mm -hmm. I don't, I don't know particularly why that is, but I don't know. It just, cause again, like it happens and you're like, well, yes, this clearly is what the first sort of does and mm -hmm. the ways that it interacts with faith you know that it's being manipulative and you know trying to guide her into a certain course of action and like it's always that you know Vicenzi thing of like are you doing what it wants you to do or like by like you know, trying to like figure out what it wants you to do and doing the opposite. Is that really what it wants you to do? And like, <laughs> right. 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 The old Iocane yeah. powder conundrum. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, and I don't know, I maybe it's because I feel like we've had a few episodes of the first interacting with Kayla and mainly as Buffy. Um, so I feel like it it maybe it's been a little while since we had an encounter with one of the dead characters that like you do kind of forget about it a little bit. Um and the guy, I can't remember the actor's name, but the guy who plays the mayor is just so good that I think it just has something to do with mm-hmm. him. Like, just like his sort of creepy, like, jolly, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, just that's such a strong, like, presence in the scene that there's something just jarring just mm-hmm. about him. Like, he doesn't even, like, it doesn't even have to actually surprise you. There's just something surprising about, like, maybe there's a surprisingness about the way that he, like, plays the lines and, sure, you know, I don't know. Like, I, I'm, I, I kind of want to give some credit to, like, the mm-hmm. performance. Um, and when the first first showed up, before I knew who it was he was one of the the personalities right when in that first scene where it's going from like one to the other like backwards through all the seasons and there was like one per season um he did show up there but that's like so long ago that by the time you know by the time this happens you've sort of forgotten about that uh and and even then it was sort of like well he's your representative for like season three or right. whatever and then um, you don't whereas here you have that personal connection with faith you forget that like oh it was all about her relationship with him sure. and being torn between uh you know her images of what you know what she want what buffy wanted her to be versus what the mayor wanted her to be mm-hmm. Um, was that what you were going to say? Sorry. I felt like you were about to. Yeah, no, just, just, I mean, I think you kind of hit on it that like, yeah, it was, it was in that first, uh, episode, um, of the season. Um, and it was just kind of like tied into all of the other, you know, uh, uh, they weren't all big bads, but like, you know, all of the other, you know, um, representatives or however you want to call it. Um, yeah. So I like you're total. it's totally fine to like, be like, Oh yes, I forgot about this person. Like, mm-hmm. and also just like, I feel like sometimes with because like even though we've saw we saw him in that very brief moment because it's he only says like one sentence there right like like all of them only say like one sentence and then switch to the next one um you get uh like even despite seeing that like i feel like sometimes we forget that like the sort of mystical deaths are like also 
the first domain, like, because he, like, ascended and became this, like, snake demon thing and then mm-hmm. was killed. And so, like, totally within the realm of what the first can do as far as, like, port- you know, portraying someone who's dead, but also just doesn't, I don't know, I feel like those deaths are, like, different than, like, something like Jenny Calendar, where, like, it's a human death. And, you know, sure. Um, I don't know. I'm kind of fumbling around to like say what I'm trying to say there, but like, I think, I think you get what I mean. Yeah, they feel like different categories, and they are, but they're all, um, you know, part of the arsenal of what the first has mm-hmm. access to. Um, death is death you know like the way you die can be very different and can make a big impact but like at the end of the day you know the mayor is just as dead as jenny calendar right um yeah um so yeah about like the manipulations and everything um into the same kind of uh, weird parental uh, dynamic that, you know, he always sort of had with mm-hmm. Faith and, you know, playing on all her fears of how Buff- how Buffy views her. Sure. Um, you know, kind of starting with Faith's fears about herself. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not that, like, Buffy is a bad person. It's that Buffy believes that you're a bad person and you're out to get her and look what you just did. You took everything from her. So, you know, that's probably not going to look great in terms of Buffy's opinion of faith. Sure. Um, And so it's only logical that as with before, she would probably try to kill you because you're this bad slayer who's trying to ruin everything and take everything Mm -hmm. away from her. Um, and given that that led to Faith being in a coma for the first time, that seems like a fairly reasonable fear. Um, so, yeah, I mean, to her credit, I don't think Faith seems very convinced by the end. You know, she might have her moments where it seems real, but... Um, you know, by the time she sort of talks things through with Principal Wood. I think we, yeah, I was going to say, I think we're on a first name basis. We're on a first name basis now. (laughs) Um, I don't, I don't get the impression that Faith is, um, you know, like terribly paranoid. In fact, I think Robin was way more paranoid about Spike mm. than, you know, than Faith seems to be about Buffy. Um, sure. And maybe that's because there's so much more history there and Faith knows Buffy a lot better and Faith's been on this sort of redemption arc and everything. So it's a little, it's a little bit harder to knock her off of that, you know, 
pedestal that she's climbed onto. But mm-hmm. um, but yeah, it's not that anything that the first is saying is like wrong per se. Again, it's all like lying with the truth and perfectly reasonable, justifiable sort of paranoia. Perfectly normal paranoia. Yeah. As the Hitchhiker's Guide says. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't disagree with any of that. Um, yeah. And then uh, Faith and Robin, you know. They do. They get it on. So actually, one thing to add, I think... Um, Like, I definitely agree that, like, Faith doesn't have, um, doesn't sort of give in to the first portrayal of the mayor. I think we can argue as to whether she winds up doing what the first is trying to get her to do. Like, Mm because, I mean, I think given the outcome of their little journey to the... You know, without getting into all the plot stuff, like we know what happens at the end with sort of finding the bomb and whatnot. Um, was that the plan all along uh, on the first part, you know, mm. to get them into a situation where they're going to be trapped in the basement with a countdown, counting down bomb? Um, like that seems mm-hmm. like it might not be far off the mark for something that first would do. So like there's that aspect of like, even though Faith doesn't like believe it it's like well was is is she still sort of playing into the first hand um Mm -hmm. regardless like even if we even if we can sort of like commend her for not believing the first is that still like well the first knew it she wouldn't believe it so like it's still Mm. bad you know and this goes and i mispronounced his name earlier vicini right um uh Mm -hmm with the iocane powder um anyway so uh you know is it that sort of thing again where like you can guess and double guess and counter guess and you know try to make all of these different moves like thinking through chess game type scenarios isn't really faith's strong suit and the first probably knows that Mm -hmm. (laughs) um so that would be one question but then the other thing I would say is, even though I think ultimately you're right that she doesn't sort of give in, I do feel like, I don't know how much of this is like genuine versus just like the writers trying to, like if we want to get all cryptic about it, like the writers just trying to mm-hmm. like pull one over on us. Um, I do feel like there is a moment there though with, before like Robin sort of says anything where like you do get the sense that like Faith's maybe more bothered by it by not speaking but then she's like oh it was the first and like Robin comes back and then they talk about it so like Mm -hmm. does does that maybe imply that like she initially was like really bothered by it and then sort of decided to like open up and like is this like where the you know 
the normal like slayer response is to like do everything on your own but like now faith is kind of the one with the family and friends and like has the opportunity to like allow others to join in and help out with the fight a bit and like she kind of you know passes that sort of galadriel test in a way right like um if we could call it something along those lines um yeah i don't know i mean i just sort of throwing that idea out there i don't i haven't thought it through that well because i sort of Mm -hmm. was thinking about it as you were talking but um i don't know if that sort of fits in with with kind of your thoughts about the scene and yeah yeah i think i definitely agree that just because she kind of ends up making sort of quote the right choice or the right you know chooses to believe the right thing doesn't mean that she's completely 100 percent sure the whole way through and she definitely does seem rattled by what you know even just physically like being in the presence of the first or seeing the Mm -hmm. mayor again like even if you know it's lying to you like that's just an unsettling you can't help but be freaked Mm -hmm. out by that um and like she definitely is um very on edge like when robin you know walks in and sort of startles her and everything um yeah and i think she probably does come to a final kind of feeling in conversation with him, you know, and kind of realizing kind of as soon as she says it was the first kind of realizing what that means that like, Oh, wait a minute. It's come to you too. And it's come to everybody. And that means that my experience isn't unique and that, you know, the ways it tried to manipulate me, it's probably tried to manipulate you too, which means that it's not real. It's just, you know, this manipulative bad guy that's sort of Mm -hmm. out to get us. And I think like in that kind of realizing that you have a common experience that demystifies it a little bit. Um, And it doesn't seem, I think like anytime you kind of share and like a fear with somebody, you kind of realize it kind of puts it in its place a little bit. Um, You know, and you realize it's not just you. Other people have had the same experience. Sure. So, yeah, it's kind of like by the time that she is talking to him and finishes the conversation, she seems more settled on, you know, like she might be angry with Buffy's methods, but she isn't necessarily second guessing everything that she believes about mm-hmm. who Buffy is. Sure. Um, Faith and uh, Robin, did they ever consider that spinoff? I don't think so, no. <laughs> I mean, she kind of... Not as much of a shipper She kind of following. brushes him off later. So it doesn't seem if that was a considered uh, spinoff, it doesn't seem to have been considered that long. Um, Yeah. No, I don't. I Um, mean, we'll we'll see who 
is still here after two more episodes, I guess. And, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, this is true. Is Robin just cannon fodder? Um, I'm not. Or Faith. I won't ask you to say anything. Um, so we have other couples. Sure. Um, who we just want to kind of mention really quickly because the whole house kind of, um, you know, ha- Venus, you know, descends at the same time. I had this like thought of C.S. Lewis and that hideous strength. Um, when like, all the couples pair off when, you know, Venus comes down. That's kind of what happens here. There's just like a mood that takes over um, everybody in the group. And it is that kind of let's seize the day, eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow's, you know, we're probably all going to die, that sort of thing. Um, And it's the last time for all the couples to really like have private, you know, moments together, probably in the series, probably. Um, so yeah, Xander and Anya are sort of envious that everybody else is, they have to listen to all, you know, everybody else being together. And why, you know, why can't they, and shouldn't they all just have to stop? And of course, like two minutes later, um, they're, I was going to say add it like bunnies, but Anya probably wouldn't really like that metaphor. Um, But like everybody else is very like tender and sweet. And they're like the ones, of course, like just on the kitchen floor, like completely like going at it. Um, And Kennedy and Willow, I think the only kind of thing I really wanted to point out was Willow's fears of um letting go and you know losing control and being vulnerable and all those sorts of things i mean obviously it it goes back to when she turned into warren which was not a pleasant experience um but i think like there's larger concerns like it's not just about her relationship with kennedy it's like all of the magic stuff you know it's all of her her self control about everything you know that her fear of what happens when she doesn't keep herself like very you know controlled and reined in and everything um which I think is a larger concern going into the last couple episodes than just about like her relationship with one person um is that it Right? It's just those three. And then Spike Spike and Buffy. Okay. Um, And and did I miss anything? I don't think so. Nope. Okay. So then we just have all plot stuff. Oh, yeah. Um, There's a plot to this episode. Oh, yeah, like... Which, like, isn't... There is plot, but, like, in watching it a second time... I remembered like the character stuff more than the plot stuff. Like there is a certain amount of plot mechanics, but like I feel like what will be memorable from this episode is like Yeah. 
Buffy and Spike's conversation sure. and Faith's conversation with the mayor and everybody like getting pairing off and all that sort of thing. Um, and then I, as I was re- rewatching it, it was sort of like we got to the big like fights at the end and I was sort of like, oh, yeah, like they do all this stuff that I just like, you know, you kind of gloss over the first time. Um, so, yeah, they they do capture mm-hmm. a bringer. Um, so they use Kennedy as bait. Um, they use Kennedy as bait. Um, and Andrew unwittingly becomes the sort of vessel, the translator. Yeah. Um, you know, kind of blank eyed, you know, uh, Willow and Dawn come up with a spell to, or I should say Dawn comes up with a spell to talk to the bringer. Um, and Willow sort of performs mm-hmm. the spell and it speaks through Andrew. Um, um, and I don't think anything it says is terribly important other than that there's this arsenal that right. they're building, um, which we see earlier when, uh, Caleb and the first are talking together. There's sort of bringers working at like iron forgeries and like you For- know, you see like the spike For- the sparks yeah. <laughs> forges forgeries forges um yeah yeah so and we don't learn in there that there's any one weapon in particular right it's just sort of a um an arsenal it's just like a big cache of weapons yeah we don't i mean is that the sense that we get from the ring right we don't get like they don't like name a MacGuffin or anything. Um, it's more just like we hear about this big weapon right. store that they have. And but also um, there they mentioned there like like that's where the conversation happens about like do the bringer sweat like are they are they doing all of this for a purpose or is it just you know sort of like busy work. Which mm-hmm. sort of ties into my question about, like, is the entire plan of the first and Caleb to just allure to bring um, right. the potentials and faith and all of them together into, um, mm-hmm. you know, into the blast radius of the bomb? Yeah, so, which I feel like is more the impression once they get there um and they find the weapons but also there's bringers there which is kind of a surprise but then they kind of take care of them a little easily you know like there is this sense of like oh like that could have gone a lot worse and like well, okay and and, and there's know. also the sense that like the bringers are definitely like nameless cannon fodder that like the first and Caleb don't really care about either. Like they'll just sure, do definitely. what they tell them to do, whether like they know they're going to die or not. So like, right. I don't find it that odd that there's going to be some bringers there to kind of like keep them occupied while the bomb is counting down. Sure. But even that they're there to give the impression of it being mm-hmm. guarded. 
when it's kind of not really, like you said, if they're just disposable cannon fodder and they're not really that impressive to begin with, then they seem like they're there to safeguard this important stash of weapons. But afterwards, I feel like Faith and the others are kind of looking around thinking like, all right, like, where's the, where's the catch? Sure. Um, and yeah, it seems that, that that's the bomb, which, yeah, it does look at the end, like they walked straight into the trap that mm-hmm. was laid for them. Um, seems that way. Yeah. Meanwhile, Buffy, the chosen one, back just, uh, back at the, back at the vineyard, um, storms in and, uh, you know, kind of, you know, gives Caleb a little run for his money. Um, and is suddenly like really awesome and able to like elude him. I don't just spike gave her a little pep in her step this morning or something. Um, <laughs> like all she needed was like some confidence boosting pep talk. Sure. Um, and I'm not like, that sounds like I'm complaining. I'm not, um, like, I think that's totally legitimate that you fight differently depending on your mood and your motivation. And when you're feeling confident, then, yeah, like, maybe she actually is capable of standing up to him. Well, and, like, she's faced him now, and so there isn't, like, the sort of, like, straightforward confrontational approach that maybe she took before right like it is more of a avoid and like she is there for a purpose because like now like now she knows that there's definitely based on the information right that spike brings back that there's definitely something there for her to get so it's less of a i'm just gonna go and like try to beat up the bad guy Especially now that she knows, like, how strong and whatever he is. But more of a, I'm going to go and try to find this thing. And it's not so, like, like, she gets him good and riled because she's playing sort of like a cat and mouse game with him. And that's Mm -hmm. when he, like, gets angry and it, like, sort of inadvertently, or is it inadvertent, um, (laughs) you know, reveals, like, the way down into... Uh, you know the the way down into the the uh, wherever it is, whatever. Like I don't know the basement or this. I don't mm-hmm. I don't know what to call the place underneath the winery there, but the cellar. I, I guess. Don't think yeah. I can help you. Sure. Um. Yeah. Right, which is where she finds this sort of, you know, magical sword in the stone type weapon. Um, And yeah, I guess whether that also is like a booby trap, um, we'll have to wait for the next episode to find out. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so the weapon. What's your thoughts there? 
Um, hmm. Well, I expect and hope that it's something more than just a MacGuffin. That it's not like the, you know, a, a purely a kind of magical object that like, you know, the one who wields this is kind of undefeatable or kills the bad guy. And because she gets it, that's the end of the story. Sort of the, like, I'm kind of expecting something more complicated about like Buffy herself, you know? Um, but I don't know what I mean by that. <laughs> um, so yeah. And I don't necessarily think that it's like a trap in the same way that like Faith walked into a bomb, but like, I could be wrong. That would be one way of subverting the kind of magical talisman would be to have it just be a trick the whole time. Um, and we do, if this is what only she can wield, then it makes me wonder what Caleb wanted it for. Mm. Like when he got angry about like, it's not for you only, she, you know, this was for her alone or whatever the words were. Um, that makes me very curious as to what he would have done with it. Um, so, yeah. Sure. I don't know that I have any other, unless you have any like leading clues or teasers. No, I mean, we're any. kind of left there um at least that's her part of the cliffhanger right like is there's this thing and we don't mm -hmm. quite know what it is and i was just curious if you had any thoughts i won't that's about it i won't give yeah i won't give like a um i don't i don't want to give any teasers or anything so we'll We'll see okay. when we get there. So, yeah. Um, cool. So, yeah, I, I, which will be in a few weeks, right? Because <laughs> I feel I like know. we've got the Angel uh, finale coming up here, and then we're going to talk about the season. <laughs> so... Uh, yeah. Yeah, we're not we're not gonna get back to the Buffy thing for a little bit yet, but that's okay. So I have some time to to ponder, speculate. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. So we, on that note, then I guess we should move into Doctor Who, um, the Eaters of Light. So I mentioned to you before mm -hmm. we started recording that I don't actually know. If I saw this episode when it aired, um, which for this season of Doctor Who, I did watch as it was airing. Um, mm -hmm. 
but I must have like skipped this one or like missed it or it's so yeah I don't <laughs> that's unusual for me because like I feel like I'm fairly careful yeah. with and it's not like I don't think with like Doctor Who there's usually like skips and weeks and stuff although maybe occasionally but like it's usually like Mm-hmm. it starts and then they air them all and then it's done right like i mean i don't mm-hmm. know i'd have to go look up and see if that's actually true in this case but like i feel like there wouldn't have been like an opportunity for me to have missed something here per se um mm-hmm. all of that said though i um yeah i mean we can go ahead and talk about it. you you had a few Interesting. So it, it, you know, we're going to try to save end of season discussions for the end of the season to take a more holistic bird's eye, you know, approach and everything. Um, But that's kind of, maybe we'll come back to that when we do the season recap, because that means it's the only one of the season to, you know, for you to approach it the way you had with the previous ones. Whereas this is, you know, you're approaching it for the first time. Um, whereas all the others in this season you had seen before prior to our kind of preparation for the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and given that this is a somewhat, um, I don't know what adjective to use that isn't like giving, you know, more away than I want to but like this isn't either of our favorite seasons I don't think um I think it's fair to say um the episodes have been kind of a bit hit or miss or even a bit like mediocre in general um so I'm curious maybe in retrospect to kind of see does that improve this one or does it you know how does this impact you know you coming to it sort of without having seen it six months before or something. Yeah. And I don't know whether you can, you can't, there's no way to say how you would have reacted in another situation. Right. Right. So like, maybe there's no way to answer that. Like how would I have thought about this episode if I'd watched it a year ago is like a meaningless. And I feel like question. I feel like I'm, Oh, I'm, like, it's harder when we're talking about stuff, like, on a week-to-week basis in depth for an hour or more at a time. Like, we spend more time talking about the episodes than the episodes actually run, air, you know? So sure. I feel like there's definitely a... I'm more willing to put up with sort of mediocre episodes when I'm just watching it and don't, like, have... Uh, you know, like, I'm not like, okay, what do I have to say about this episode? What, what insight can I glean? Or what insight can I give about what I didn't glean (laughs) from this episode? Um, Mm -hmm. No, there's definitely those ones that are, you know, watchable. We might not have great things to say about the episode, but it's definitely they're watchable. Um, yeah yeah. I think I think there's definitely some episodes this season where like yeah like you can just sort of like sit down and and, you know or or more likely in my case like have it on in the background like on the counter while I'm washing dishes or something like that which is 
more like my binge mode, you know, like doing that while I'm like doing chores around the house or, you know, whatever, folding laundry or that type of thing. And that would have been more, I mean, maybe not binge mode because it was like weekly as it was coming out, but like that would have been more how I was watching them when I watched them as a season rather than like for the Mm -hmm. podcast. So Mm -hmm. I don't know. I, I mean, I thought this episode actually was fine. I, I feel like it felt a little more like cohesive and like, (coughs) excuse me, a little more, um, uh, I'm not even sure what the right word is. Um, I think I like it better than some of the other episodes in this season, if I could say it that way. Sure. Um, so I I don't know if that quite answers your question. If you were looking for more about that, I mean, we can we'll certainly talk more about the episode as we go through. Um, I think there's some interesting differences in that you have almost immediately the doctor and Bill splitting up which mm-hmm. i was trying to think i don't think that happens with any other episode at least so far this season mm-hmm. and certainly not if that does happen it's not like a choice it's like they get separated not that they right. like actively go different ways right so right. i think that's an interesting like way to take it um yeah. And I think there's some things that like are interesting too like as far as like Bill just now 10 episodes into her season learns about the Tardis's language, you know, translation and stuff, which I feel like is kind of a mm-hmm. kind of a cool thing that like I you know, for whatever reason they've been off doing all these other things and it just sort of never occurred to her that like why is everyone speaking the same language as me? It's like, would be interesting to know like what, I mean, okay. So some of them were like Victorian English people, which, okay, their language isn't that different, but um, others are like complete aliens and strangers. And it never sort of occurred to her like, Oh, why are these people speaking Mm -hmm. differently? Um, So yeah, I don't, I don't, I think, um, I think there's some interesting things like that that happen in this episode. I think um, the framing, while we're not really going to talk about it, I guess this is the point where we'll talk about it. Um, <laughs> this is your opportunity. Yeah, the to frame talk is like frame. I don't, I don't think I, I sort of called it pointless before we were started recording. I you frame you you framed up the frame in a different way and said it maybe doesn't have. Um, sort of like plot significance but it still kind of gives you a sense of like the setting and sort of the depth of time maybe that you wouldn't quite get um or or what what's the Tolkien phrase the illusion of depth right that you wouldn't like quite get Mm. by just having the doctor in and Bill and Nardal in sort of second century Scotland um by starting in sort of present day it, it, you mm-hmm. know, allows you then to go back and sort of make the connection there, especially then at the end when they come back to present day and you realize yeah. that 
you know, what is it about like Romans and like sticking around for 2000 years or whatever, you know, <laughs> 1800 years. The Romans yeah. who waited. Um, like not just waiting, but like guarding a thing, you know, like, yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, whatever. Like, I, so anyway, like, that's fine. I, I didn't even like think of that when I was watching it, but like, um, yeah, I know that's a good connection. I think, I think that's, that's an interesting way to sort of give, you know, the sort of like the cold open and then like sending you back again. We've had that sort of thing. Even just last episode, we had that sort of thing of the present day and then going back to like mm-hmm. Victorian times. Okay. Not quite as far, but um, you know, going backwards and then sort of seeing how did this thing get to be the way it is, you know, with the God save the queen on Mars yeah. and that kind of thing. Um, right. But I feel like here it's like, I don't know. I just felt like it was done better here for whatever reason. Like it just had a cleaner, more like polished feel. A well, and I think you use the word coherent and I think that gets it. Did I say coherent? Cohesive. The fact that I think cohesive, that's the, that's the word. That's what I'm thinking. Um, I think some of the cohesion comes from the the sort of stories and tropes that it's playing with that like I think you also get in the cold open when the you know the the kids are wandering around and you hear the sort of ghostly music and the older brothers like worried about the ghosts and everything like this idea of like the haunted hills of you know the highlands that sort of thing um and it's playing with specific like cultural ideas you know whereas like i guess you know we talked about in in empress of mars how it is playing with ideas of imperialism and you know the british sort of quest for empire and uh indigenous cultures and all that sort of thing but it doesn't necessarily like go that far with them um whereas here i feel like it uh i don't know it goes further in integrating the kind of like celtic mythology um i'll put celtic in air quotes as Demetrophemi would like um because sure. it's sort of a that's a modern term that isn't necessarily well the pictish culture i guess um you know like we'll get into it but like the time distortions and all that sort of thing like you know like finding that way of taking their sort of fairy culture essentially and doctor whoing it you know like giving it all the kind of doctor whoishness explanations but in ways that kind of like uses those tropes and those you know themes and ideas so i think that i mean i think that's what the cold open does is suggest that stuff like it's not that like the kids are important or that like we learn any important information or anything like that i think it's more about setting the scene of 
all right, this is going to be an episode where we explore the haunted hills of the Scottish Highlands and kind of do the Doctor Who take on those types of stories. So I think it serves a purpose, even though it's not like plot important. Right. Um, let me see my production note really quick because that kind of like brings me to that point. Um, which is that uh, this was written by Rona Munro, who is Scottish. So um, I think she feels a certain amount of ownership over these types of stories, I would think. Sure. Um, you know, a certain connection to them. Um, and uh, so she uh, was the writer of the last classic serial of Doctor Who. Um, which makes her the only writer to write for both the classic and the new series, um, which is very cool and kind of rare enough in itself to have a female writer in Doctor Who, um, let alone to have one back from the classic era. Um, and kind of cool that she wrote the last story that was broadcast um, with Sir Sylvester McCoy called Survival. Um, which you asked if this was in any way a sequel to it. And it's not except in a, a couple people have noted like some thematic similarities of um, young characters sort of being forced on their own, like after the adults are sort of wiped out for one reason or another. Um, so there's, there's little like thematic overlaps and everything, mm -hmm. but um but like that had to do with like cheetah people. So it wasn't really <laughs> about, um, you know, Romans so much. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, the other thing, which I think is kind of, I don't think it's very important, but just worth noting and kind of interesting is um, I think the reviews of this episode were generally positive, like sort of, mixed to strong as a lot of things were this season but um but for some reason this was the lowest rated and the least watched episode of the season so maybe that's just because we're getting late in the season and you know the numbers are trending downward as they do mm -hmm. um and then they're gonna tick up again when we get to the finale so maybe it's just a matter of where it runs in the season but um you know I think it, it's interesting when that happens when one that I think some of us think is a little bit stronger, um, you know, the viewing numbers and the audience rating doesn't necessarily always reflect that. Um, right. But yeah, like I as well, I would rate this above, you know, a bunch of other episodes this season. I don't think it's... Um, the weakest, but that's not what the numbers say. So, anyway, um, yeah. So we kind of like 
started to sort of jump around. Um, right. But I think you kind of wanted to maybe kind of go through it chronologically. Well, yeah. So I was, I mean, sort of chronologically, um, but like obviously Bill and the doctor split up. So I don't, I'm not, I don't want to jump back and forth, but like we'll take one and then we'll take the other and then resume when they get back together. Um, well, and can I, I thought of one more thing about the splitting up. Um, I don't know that this was intentionally meant to be this, but um, another way in which maybe having Rona Monroe write this, um, more so in the classic series where you had shorter episodes, but more episodes, like a serial would have four or even more episodes mm -hmm. in them. Um, the first one would often be about... Um, exploring the world like wherever you know it's not so much you land and there's danger right away it's more like you'd have half an episode that's just about let's like wander around and find out where we are um and I feel like that's a little bit of a classic throwback to kind of have Bill and the doctor do that like normally like you said they would arrive and circumstances would make them split up um but it's a little bit more leisurely to say like, okay, we've arrived somewhere because we choose to be here and we're going to go off and explore. Um, and, you know, you're going to go that way and I'm going to go that way and we're, we'll see what we find. That sort of thing. Sure. So. Yeah. And I feel like we've done that certainly with other companions here in the new series too so i don't i don't think that that in itself is necessarily odd it's just the odd episode out for this particular season i think like we haven't done mm -hmm. that before with bill and the doctor um yeah and i feel like in all the other episodes it's so and i mean this may hold true with this episode as well and probably probably does but like i feel like when they do get split up again not really intentionally for the most part um it's like things don't go well right like it's it's uh excuse me you know for one reason or another though they then need to like figure out how to get back together and work together with each other and like with the other you know people or creatures of whatever the episode is focused on. So, um, mm -hmm. yeah. So I guess just for like the situation, the conceit, I guess of, you know, they go back to second century Aberdeen and it, like, it appears that they're sort of in the midst of an argument about Romans. Um, as to whether mm -hmm. or not there were Romans, you know, roaming about the Scottish countryside at this time. Um, and so basically it's, you know, the doctor says there weren't any and the bill says, no, no, of course there were. Cause I learned about it in like history and the books I've read and all of that. Um, and so they kind of go off, you know, each in their own directions to sort of prove the other wrong. Um, well, and 
can I like specify a little, maybe this is what you were saying anyway, but um, I don't think it's so much that the question of are there Romans here? It's it's specifically about what happened to this missing ninth legion. Well, which is one of those yeah, sure. It's one of those like you know historical mysteries. Um, you know of like like the lost colony of Roanoke. Like it's one of those like we know that you know this group of people was here, and then just without any explanation, there are no records after a certain date and so what happened um that's the specific like mystery that they're investigating yeah um so they go off on their own ways so let's let's follow bill first um and i don't i mean i don't know like that will necessarily have a lot to say about like the first few hot points because it's like she runs mm -hmm. into a woman who's huddling over the fire and sort of like remembering her parents you know who appear to be dead and offering some kind of like prayer or you know memoriam you know to them um mm -hmm. Bill makes a sound and the girl like looks up and starts chasing her with a sword. So that's not, you know, fun. Um, and then Bill pulls a Fred and falls through a hole into a cave. Um, not quite the same. Cause I guess Bill was already, or uh, Fred was already falling, um, which, you know, and, and again, so then we, you know, I'm just realizing like the, the two women with sort of traditional men's names, but um, kind of funny. Um, anyway, that's neither here nor there. Um, but she falls into uh, this hole that appears to be like a cave or of some kind and, hey, finds a Roman um, who never does he, he doesn't actually introduce himself to her, right? Like, did I miss that like she doesn't actually find out his name till later when she meets the others. Yeah, I don't think so. I sort of had to look it up. Um cuz I don't know that he ever I don't think he does, himself. but the others I think are like, "Oh, isn't Simon supposed to be here?" or like he's coming back. What happened right. to him? And he's like, "Oh, yeah, he uh, he died." Yeah. Um yeah. Well, and you mentioned her, um, the lateness of her, oh my gosh, the TARDIS translates everything mm -hmm. realization, um, which like, I feel like, again, I don't know that this was meant intentionally if this was just like, oh, this is a convenient place to put it in the season, but, um, the fact that it comes like right before the end of the season emphasizes to me how in a way premature her exit seems like you know like this is the kind of thing we should learn early in our adventures mm. not like the episode before the finale sure um and i'm not saying that that's a mistake necessarily i think that makes it feel kind of interesting that like we're 10 episodes into a season and still learning some of the more fundamental like lessons of 
you know, traveling mm-hmm. in the TARDIS. It definitely makes her feel different, her journey feel different than like something with the others where they learn that in like episode two, you know? Right. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So, right. She fi- figures out like the whole like language thing. Um, which seems to like help her out because he thinks she's speaking Latin and why would, you know, a barbarian picked no Latin, right? And also, I mean, she doesn't look like the picks. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, more Southern and Mediterranean and, you know, where in the heart of Roman civilization where they're apt to meet more people of varying skin tones like there may be a little more Mm -hmm. uh you know um used to yeah used to seeing someone with bills coloring and that kind of thing um Mm -hmm. so maybe it's more believable that she is uh you know uh roman or at least you know has some sort of dealings with the roman um Right. She's from a civilized country that speaks Latin, wherever she's from. Um, it's not these barbarian sort of mm-hmm. wastelands. Right. And you get the, some of that from one of the Romans being black as well. Mm-hmm. Like the fact that like they're more, they're more globalized. Like they have, you know, it's a very kind of, it's a lot of trade and a lot of immigration and people coming from, you know, places all over, you know, the world um, or that part of the world right. anyway. Whereas, you know, this, uh, the Scottish hill, hill, hills are very like cut off yeah. from, you know, this is not the civilized world. Um Right. So um, once we're kind of past all of that introductory stuff, she's excited because it's a Roman soldier and she's like asking him about the Ninth Legion. And um, he's like, yeah, don't you know what happened to the Ninth Legion? And, and so, you know, there's sort of the, the setup there. Um, they climb out of the hole and um are going to i guess try to make it back to where um the others who have deserted the rest of the ninth legion are hiding and um they they initially hear uh what the what simon calls a monster and then uh eventually see it because it grabs him and like takes him away kind of has like these long tentacles and um, mm-hmm. you know, just sort of like pulls him away and then chases Bill through the forest until, so I guess she just happens upon another cave. Like this forest is just like full of caves and she just like happens upon another <laughs> one that is filled with Roman soldiers as well. 
It's filled with um, the rest of the Romans. It seems like Yeah, it. it seems like if you wanted to find, like, the Roman soldiers, you should have just checked all the capes. Like, Bill found yeah, two of them, like, find. in a matter of, like, a half hour or so. <laughs> um, or, I, I mean, I don't know how long it was, but um, in a few hours, at least. Uh, mm -hmm. And the pics are, like, in the other cave, apparently. That's connected to, <laughs> right. like, right. the cave in which the Romans are, anyway, somehow, so... Yeah, it's like a whole network um, of caves. Um, yeah. Yeah, so anyway, the uh, the other, like, as she's running, she sort of gets grabbed by the monster and, um, but is able to sort of escape and they block up the hole so that it can't get in. Um, but as it turns out, she has some sort of, like, goo on her that I guess is a soporific and causes her to faint. Um, we get, I mean, we get a little bit more like conversation with them, but I don't know that there's any, they say anything real important other than like, Hey, where's Simon? And she's like, yeah, he died. Um, yeah. Anything, yeah. anything else there sort of before she faints? So, I, I don't know, like, do should we go to the doctor and Nardal at this point and then come back, like, after two days or, like... No, um, I think we can finish up with... So, yeah, so, uh, like, two... With Bill and... Two Bill days and pass Romans. and she wakes up. Um, apparently, you know, she's uh, in need of some sustenance and so they, like, sort of feed her and... Uh, Kind of a kind of a humorous discussion about um, their various uh, orientations, um, which is right, and they find her very quaint. Well, right. So it's it's I do I do think it's interesting um, some of the ways that they play with expectations and sort of like Bill's assumption about you know the historical assumptions about um mm -hmm. not like here it's you know sexual orientation and others it's been sort of race and gender uh relations and that type of thing um mm -hmm. but yeah so you know her sort of assumption that like oh it you know it's an old civilization you know so they probably aren't as uh modern and um uh, you know uh uh what's the word I'm looking for? Like diverse or, or accepting as maybe, um, mm -hmm. the, uh, uh, you know, our present day, um, right. Civilization. And it, you know, they, it turns out she's like, Oh, you know, she's kind of awkwardly, you know, says like, Oh, well, I'm, I'm into women, not men. And they're all like, Oh, okay. That's cool. <laughs> and, and they're like, Oh, so you're like, I forget his name. The the guy over there, and he's only into men. And they're all like, "We're we're normal. We're into everyone." <laughs> right. It's like, oh, how cute and old fashioned. Um, yeah. Which so like yeah yeah like it makes you wonder why um you know uh, uh <coughs> Captain Jack Harkness hasn't like gone back there. Maybe maybe he has. I don't know. Maybe he's right. had a had a few. 
I was gonna say bacchanals, but I guess that's the Greeks. Um, what what's the Roman version <laughs> of the Saturnalia? Like, would would that be? Yeah, maybe. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I guess that is a little trend with Bill, and I feel like she's always very forgiving. Like you know, like I feel like she's always very prepared to be like, um. You know, she's not ready to go. She doesn't set herself up to go, like, lecture other civilizations about their backwards viewpoints. She always kind of sets her up as this forgiving liberal person of, like, oh, like, I understand that, like, this might be difficult for you, but let me explain how things are. And then inevitably they're always much more, you know, um, not necessarily more open-minded, but they subvert what her expectations are set to be um yeah, yeah. which i guess is a, just a lesson of traveling in other cultures mm. be they past future or present you know of they you may think that they're more or less progressive than you but they'll probably always be different than what you think right right especially when you're when your and, knowledge you know, is coming you know, from a limited source that's not, like, the original culture itself. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. So, um, so, yeah, so then, like, somehow the thing, like, gets in to, like, the cave system there, and they have to, like, escape, and they run through the caves and of course oh where do we pop out where else but you know where the cave, the other where cave the are all right. <laughs> um yeah so yeah so i don't i mean other than sort of going through the plot there and i know we i mean we had a few things to say anything like sort of about bill and her sort of her excellent journey um you know, through the sort of like Roman kind of occupied uh, Scotland. <laughs> um, no, I don't think there's anything other than what we covered. I think we can switch over to right. the doctor. So, um, yeah, the doctor and Nardal kind of go off. And I love like Nardal's orange robe. Um, I know. Did they ever even really explain what that's about? He, he He's says something about wanting to like PJs. go to bed, and I assume that like that like maybe that was it. Like he was getting ready for bed, and then like they decided to go on this adventure kind of thing. But I, that's just like uh -huh. I don't think that's clear. Really, I think that's just me making an assumption yeah. there about what's kind of going on. Yeah. Yeah. No, he's just out in his PJs. Um, very Arthur Dent. Yeah, true. Um, yeah. So yeah. Uh, yeah, and the doctor goes off to prove that the Ninth Legion are all dead. Yeah, basically. or gone, or whatever. Um, like he doesn't know precisely, right? But well, I guess he's expecting to find the big pile of bodies, which he does. Which he does yeah, eventually I mean, they find. Do find a field of bodies. Um, mm -hmm. Right. So, 
yeah, he says, like, I'll go find their last battlefield. So I guess, I guess you're right. Like, he is expecting to find them, like, like, last battlefield, meaning, like, the one where they're all laying dead. And he does find that. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah. And then, like, Uh, well, I guess before that, they find this alien thing, right? Like a carcass. Um, mm-hmm. So they know they're dealing with something not ordinary, um, or at least mm-hmm. I mean, to the doctor, it's kind of ordinary, I guess. They deal with aliens all the time, but not like Earth ordinary, um, and certainly not mm-hmm. like second century Scotland ordinary. Um, Yeah. So uh, they're on the battlefield, but then they get sort of kidnapped by a bunch of Picts. And uh, they go back to the cave. Um, They get, uh, you know, (laughs) Narhal is trying, trying kind of, you know, desperately to assimilate and, you know, offering, like, the popcorn that he has in a bag in his pocket, um, which the doctor later uses to, uh, as a distraction to escape, after telling them that he's going to use it as a distraction in order to escape, um, which is fun. That's kind of a pretty funny moment, actually, when he's like, yes, mm-hmm. uh, let me distract you, and then we can run away while you're you know, screaming in confusion or whatever. I I didn't write down the exact quote. Yeah, as the as the um, pops. But basically, so um, well, so okay. In the midst, I kind of skipped around a little bit. So before that happened, so they get um, you get uh, Car, uh, who calls herself the gatekeeper, uh, coming in and. Um, in addition to, you know, sort of having a, a, a wild temper and anger with regard to the Romans, um, for understandable reasons, she, uh, you know, sort of reveals that there's this role or, um, you know, part that she sort of supposed to be playing of a gatekeeper for these cairns and mm-hmm. you know so when the doctor and nardal escape of course they go to look at the cairn where um presumably this alien comes through and that's when he goes in and sees um like there's a lot of these sort of kind of weird fishy alligatory kind of things swimming around in Mm -hmm. there and uh yeah apparently he's in there for like two days uh but it feels like only a few Mm -hmm. seconds to him when he comes out and so definitely dealing with some weird time and space portal thing going on here um yeah i love a good fairy portal sure sure And with the, you know, of course, within the context of, like, 
the time and space travel. And so this this is, of course, a portal to a new dimension where um, there's monsters and or aliens or or whatever. I feel like I mean, it's sort of a staple, right, of the Doctor Who of like the mm-hmm. interdimensional alien monster creature that's like trying to mm-hmm. break into our world to eat or use the bodies right the corpses are getting lively um kind of thing mm-hmm. um, <laughs> that's a throwback well but i feel like it's the same sort of thing right like it's it's yeah these interdimensional yeah. creatures that are trying for whatever reason they're trying to break through and it will mean certain doom for the humans yeah right right with different spins on that idea but yeah like so these ones are eaters of light they so they'll just consume you know the light from the earth like even suck the you know living things dry of you know the reflected light of them and then go on to the sun and the stars and just sort of keep eating forever i mean even cause them like locusts so the idea that they're kind of you know a pestilence that would just indiscriminately they're not gonna save anything because they realize that they're gonna destroy the world they're just compelled to keep eating until there's nothing left right which i also feel like is is right that idea of like aliens just coming in and and using up the resources and then moving on right is is a Mm -hmm. another trope maybe um whatever that resource Mm -hmm. is you know something that we need that would get taken from us um Mm -hmm. well and whether or not she's correct that's kind of how car uh characterizes the romans sure you know is like this you know plague of destruction that just like comes uses all the natural resources you know leeches off of the locals and then you know either kind of stays to live and rule over everybody or just moves on and leaves you with your kind of devastated wasteland behind yeah uh robbery slaughter plunder like yeah that's the the trifecta of the romans um yeah yeah no that's uh that's definitely true um and hard to like argue with too like i'm sure you know from the roman point of view there's a different you know thing going on there of in your know, toilets. Well, that and like we're taming the wild people and, you know, bringing civilization right. to the savages. Right. And, like right. that type of thing. Which includes the right. toilets. I'm. Yeah. Right. And I'm sure it's like, you know, a, 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 more than a nod to Life of Brian. Um, the What have the Romans ever done for us section? Yeah. Um, you know, with. The aqueduct and all the other things that they end mm-hmm. up, you know, railing against the, you know, and the the joke being that we're 
so desperate to rebel against these tyrannical overlords, but really like every good thing that we have is because they gave it to us, you know, now like they're, that's a comedy that sort of, you know, it's a satirical thing. I don't think like the Doctor Who episode is kind of suggesting that, um, the Romans are really like the good guys mm. in this scenario. Um, but it kind of is like, well, yeah, like they did bring, you know, a certain amount of technological advancement and hygiene, at least, to the world. Um, but they went about it in a pretty, uh, in a way that was not exactly like sensitive to the cultures that they just sort of like yeah. obliterated. And I mean, right. And especially when you get like, I mean, there were certainly some cultures that were more willing to maybe assimilate and like gave less of a resistance than others. And you get the sense of like the Scottish people with their long history of rebellion from, you know, uh, you know, well, going back to Roman times and then, you know, all the way up to Braveheart. Starting here <laughs> and having a long tradition. Um, yeah. Yeah. All the way up to, um, you know, the vote to remain or exit. Yeah, there you go. Like ago. still, still to the, to this day, um, you know, sort of being willing to resist whatever powers that might uh, deign to, you know, try to over overshadow them um right so yeah no i mean that's that's a great point and so um once they all sort of get together and uh well okay so like finish out the doc like he comes out it's two days later which of course coincides with bill's two-day like uh, mm -hmm. uh blackout period um mm -hmm. They they all, you know, they all find themselves in the same cave, pointing their swords at each other uh, with sort of the Doctor, Bill, and Nardal in the middle. Um, Nardal has since assimilated, um, so he sort of accomplished what he set out to do. Um, right, down to the <laughs> accent. And, uh, and so... And kind of acts as though that makes him, like, he's speaking Scottish, if he can kind of imitate a little bit of the accent. Um, like, that's, right. he's learned it all. Um, and so, yeah, so then, then it comes around to the language thing of, like, suddenly we're all speaking the same language. Um, or at least we're all able to understand each other's language. We're not, it's not quite clear exactly how the TARDIS works, but, you know, one way or the other. Um, mm -hmm. And to the doctor, everyone sounds like children. You're all just children. <laughs> and, I mean, notable, too, that they are all young, right? All the old people are dead. Like, all the... Everyone mm -hmm. has died. And... Uh, except for these sort of remnants of the two different sides. And so... Mm -hmm. um, you know, we started out with seeing Carr sort of remembering her dead parents. And of course, all of the, all of the, uh, uh, cowards who abandoned the Ninth Legion are 
young, you know, like they're, they're pretty maybe young and inexperienced and like none of the old soldiers survived or ran away. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, you know, and of course the doctor who's quite old to begin with would um, be looking at them as children. But uh, the idea being more of kind of what Bill says is like, I think it's Bill who says like, we're all like talking the same language. Like, is this what it sounds like? Is this like what always sort of happens when, when you get people, you know, who can finally understand each other that maybe weren't able to before. Um, And the doctor's kind of like, yeah, you know, it's mixed. (laughs) There's mixed results. (laughs) Sometimes it's, you know, sometimes it's better than others. Um, yeah, and I, I like that while it doesn't pretend that that is the answer to all problems, I do like the kind of situation, like using that TARDIS translation as a kind of metaphor for getting people to mm-hmm. talk to each other. That, like, again, not all conflict, but a not insignificant portion of conflict probably comes down to people not understanding each other. Like, and not just literally across language barriers, but just like culturally or because they don't want to understand or for whatever reason, like people refusing to talk or talking past each other or just not understanding the context that the other person's coming from. So kind of using the TARDIS as a a like metaphorical way to say that there were these two groups of people who literally could not understand each other that suddenly can and then how does that change their perspective like how does that humanize the other group when you can suddenly sort of understand what they're trying to say or see it from their point of view um so yeah uh I don't, I mean, sort of long story short, they finally figure out, well, the doctor, you know, after sort of like calling them children and saying like, it's time to actually fight the fight you're supposed to fight, (laughs) um, says that he, he sort of has a plan. And so leads them all back to the cairn and, um, figures out how to lure uh, the alien, they, they, they never actually get a name, right? Other than like the doctor sort of calling them locusts, but that's just like a metaphor. Um, yeah. Or, or, you know, eater of light is, is the pick's name sure. for them. So I don't, whatever don't the Celtic get what word for eater themselves. of light is probably. Um, right. So, yeah. So the, uh, uh, the, the Celtic language word, I mean, of course. The the, <laughs> the Pictish um, word. Scots Gaelic, I guess. Um I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what language they would have spoken at that point, but anyway. Um Yeah, so they they figure out how to sort of lure it back with um like music, right? And singing and noise and um 
which I feel like I, where where did we see something like oh never mind um I did you didn't yeah sorry oh. um anyway I was gonna draw an analogy to something you haven't seen but anyway um spoiler alert the uh yeah so anyway so. They sort of lure it back with noise, and then they, like, use light. So I wasn't quite – I kind of – I don't know. I was trying to – I missed it the first time, and I was trying to watch for it, and I'm still not entirely clear why using light – if it's an eater of light, like, why does using light cause it to, like, want to go back to its home? Yeah, there's something in, like – the tools that they're using, the like light refractor things, those like little like paddleboard things that they have, but um, I okay. also wasn't quite clear on like I, what like, they I do. was actually trying to watch like and listen for it the second time through, and I'm like, I don't really get like why this is working the way it's working, but okay. There's some line about how it like poisons mm. the light, but I why that is I don't. All right, so we'll just uh -huh. believe them, I guess, that that's what it does. Um, Wait a so minute, Hold the on. doctors. There's like a mirror thing. How does it work? It poisons the light as the beast eats it. Good. We'll get more. <laughs> that's all they say. All right. So, yeah. Right. Don't. Um, don't. So, so once they do that. that, though, the doctor's sort of secret plan that he hasn't mentioned to anyone is that he's going to stay in the cairn forever or, you know, until until all the stars have gone extinct, I guess, um, or at least the sun. In which case, I like, I'm still not clear, like, why that is that then, like their world just becomes unattractive. Is that like, you, you know, like you wouldn't go like, you know, pick the fruit from a rotting tree kind of thing. Like there's just, there's just yeah, no, probably. if there's no sun. Right. Once then, the food source is Then they're just not dried up interested then. anymore. Um, so yeah. So for whatever, I mean, not the first time the doctor will have waited around a long time to like, guard something or see something through um but he's sort of i mean he's foiled in that because then you have Carr, who's the professed gatekeeper who apparently um who apparently like has inherited this i guess like i, I i'm not real clear how that happens either um like who's chosen yeah, it kind of seems like there's like she's from a right. line of chieftains that. That's the sense yeah. I got as well, um, but I couldn't remember a specific, uh, you know, indication or, or saying there, um, or whatever. I didn't. I don't remember someone saying that specifically, but that's fine. Um, mm -hmm. So she says, no, like, basically, it's my duty to, you know, to do this, to guard uh, 
you know, guard the the Karen and like the Roman like the Roman soldiers and her, you know, fellow Picts all are like, yes, we'll help you. And they sort of, um, but they go, it's more like, like they go on the affront. It's not just, uh, oh, sorry, not the affront, the offense. And it, it, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> affront is something. Um, yeah, they go on the offense and like actually go into the portal, like presumably to sort of hunt down these creatures and kill them. Is that, Mm-hmm. like do you get that same sense like it's it, it it's not like they're just like waiting around to like for them to come no out. i think they're kind of actively yeah. fighting them like yeah until they die which might not last too long but like we said like a minute there is yeah you know a long right. time somewhere else so if they last for if there's a lot of, if there's a bunch of them and they can last for a couple hours or even several minutes or something, then that buys them years here on Earth. So, yeah, I think it's more of a, like, safety in numbers kind of a thing. Because um, I think they said earlier that one, like, one warrior going in and fighting for two minutes could be... A lifetime like 60 years before another warrior had to go in behind him so if there's an army of a small army of romans um along with car then that could be like generations of time that they're bought right so um i do want to point out the um the crows. So sorry if you just, you know, if you were about to go there or whatever, but um, the crows being taught Carr's name. Um, one thing that I remember that stuck with me from um, that wonderful uh, Doctor Who transcript website, which everybody uses all the time, um, when the transcriber put up the link to that. I remember her saying um, on like the Facebook post or whatever that like making a link with uh, this episode and like just so stories um, and saying this is how the crow got its caw. And it's like, (laughs) it is like, you don't realize that like from the beginning, but by the end, it is sort of an origin Mm. story of how the crow came to do this thing. Um, Anyway, I don't know how many uh, stories we get like that in Doctor Who, but this is a good example of that, I think. Yeah. Um, So, I don't really... So, you mentioned... Well, so you mentioned before about this wouldn't have been the first time the doctor stayed, you know, to guard something um, for a long time. So I wanted to mention kind of towards the end here that like, he should be guarding something, but he's not. (laughs) And that's kind of what Nardole and Bill keep reminding Mm -hmm. him of, um, you know, throughout the season and throughout this episode is like, yeah, we do need you to guard something, but 
it's the vault. And, um, you know, stop trying to guard other people's gates when you're, you have a gate of your own that's, you know, an important thing to keep right. an eye on. Um, and so, yeah, they're, they're, they're going back, presumably, to go guard the vault. And of course, they find out that, oh, there's nothing in the vault to be guarded because Missy is in the TARDIS, um, which initially seems like, oh, did she like escape and like, is sort of a stowaway. And mm -hmm. it turns out that no, that in fact, the doctor is letting her um, be in the TARDIS and um, I guess has sort of keyed the TARDIS to prevent her from leaving it and from leaving with it. Um, but otherwise, she seems to have sort of run of the place, not just even run of the place, but like, the ability to like do maintenance, which seems like it could potentially backfire quite a bit. Um, mm -hmm. If, you know, she were to, I don't know, switch a coupling or, you know, do a thing the wrong way. I, I don't, I don't know what mm -hmm. technical parts there are to the TARDIS. Um, uh, yeah. What like kind of it's, she's doing? it's unclear. Like, is she like, you know, the Kaylee Fry and just needs to like look at it the right way um, and see like how things go? Like, I don't know. Anyway, so the. Well, and in the. <laughs> that just made me think of when the doctor's trying to get Bill to leave and he's saying like, oh, the TARDIS will take you back. All you have to do is like hit it with a spanner, like, you know. That's the kind of like, like what maintenance does the TARDIS even need? Like the only maintenance we really ever see is like whacking sure. things. Um, or is it that he knows Missy's there? And uh, if Bill needs to get back home, Missy can pilot. Um. So yeah, I don't, uh, we get to, um, we get to see her in the TARDIS there and, and, you know, there's obviously some banter and I don't know how important that is, but, um, there's the, there's the, uh music that is sort of brought up um well kind of in the beginning right that's why the little girl uh judy is sort of running to the cairn and the the um the boy has sort of like the response of well you know there's uh evil in there and if you listen and it'll come out and yada 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 um but then at the end you get bill sort of as they're going into the TARDIS, thinking that she hears music as well. Um, and then presumably Missy hears it as well, right? Mm. Um, mm -hmm. 
And I mean, the doctor says, that's what I'm trying to teach you, Missy. You understand the universe. You see it and you grasp it, but you've never learned to hear the music. But it seems like maybe she does. Like maybe she's starting to, I mean, metaphorically anyway, like hear the music and, and, you know, mm-hmm. in her sort of quest for redemption is, is maybe starting to change a little bit. Um, I don't think we've gotten yet how long Missy has been in the vault. Have we? Have we learned Yeah, that? I don't... No, I don't think we... I don't think we have um, a number. So it's hard to say, like, how long this reformation has taken place. Um, or, you know... Uh, at least her incarceration, whether reformation is quite taken place yet, I guess remains to be seen. Um, but then there's also the, uh, you know, the crying. So she starts, you know, there's like, it's sort of tear in her eye and she doesn't, she doesn't know why. What, what is this wet stuff that's emanating from my, yeah, Uh, exactly. Um, (laughs) and so, uh, I mean, there's, there's the jokey response of, I don't know, maybe you're trying to impress me. Yes. Probably some devious plan. That sounds about right. Um, but then, of course, there's the you know more possible solution that maybe it's it's time for them to actually become friends again, and you know maybe there's some good that can come out of this uh relationship mm-hmm. that they are uh sort of nurturing um to some degree uh, by virtue of their being the last two of the timelines so um mm-hmm. yeah, I mean. It's not not really a cliffhanger or anything, but kind of like we're just sort of left to ponder that uh, mm-hmm. possibility and see if that holds true in the quickly approaching end of the season. Um, so. mm-hmm. Yeah. Any other thoughts there? I have one final thought about the music, um, which is that I generally like Murray Gold's music, but I feel majorly let down by the like mm. Celtic quote, Celtic Scottish pipe music here. Um, and I feel like if Bear McCreary had scored this episode, it would have been like those pipes would have been like off the hook. Um, <laughs> so anyway, um, I'm always disappointed by that repetitive little snippet of traditional scottish music mm. that we get um seeing as it all kind of ends up highlighting the music at the end i felt like we could have some had something a lot better but anyway that's my final thought well on that note we'll uh we'll be back next week with uh yeah, the I I believe we're at the season finale of Angel. Um and then mm-hmm. uh yeah, the start of the start of the finale for Doctor Who, right? Like is is it a two mm-hmm. episode finale? So. Yep. Yep, part 1. With with Sounds that, good. We'll, uh, yeah, we'll see you next week. See you then. Mm-hmm.